This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting slasher movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B. McKenzie. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how well it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me online at B-Not-B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. This week, we are dissecting 2021's Candyman, directed by Nia DaCosta, but first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of the movie this week, as well as life updates. Um... So, I threw it on here on our little list that we have. B and I are both huge football fans. I don't know how much we've talked about it on the podcast before, but we're in a long-standing fantasy league. Yeah, B's wearing her Niners hoodie right now. Um, and I, I've been the commis- commissioner of this league now. I think it's year nine. I think next year will be year ten. Um, so, it's been B hasn't been in it, like, I think you only missed one year. That it was, like, other people. Like, in the middle of it, yeah. Because we started yeah. the league together. Yeah. Um, and then I think one year I took off, like, in the height of college. I was going to say, yeah, during college you were so busy. Um, yeah, but we are both huge football fans. So, uh, now that football is back, we are very, very excited. B's team is 2-0, and and my team is 0-2. We are really terrible. I am an Atlanta Falcons fan, and... We might be the worst team in football this year. Um, we're definitely contending for that position. Dude, I don't know. There's a lot of crap teams this year. There's a lot of really bad teams. And especially, we'll see what happens this weekend, because I know like four teams lost their starters, and they weren't like amazing starters to begin with. So, Yeah, it um, should be interesting. Yeah, How are you doing in been... fantasy? I am 2-0 in fantasy as well. My team is 2-0, and my fantasy team is 2-0. It's good for football I'm... right now. Yeah, I'm one and one. Um, I came out, I squeaked okay. ahead last weekend, so I and I beat Jeremy, which is always nice. Um, so did I. Look at us. Yeah, there we go. So Jeremy is our friend uh, from Wisconsin. He was from Wisconsin in California. Now he's in Indianapolis, um, but he won our fantasy league probably like six years in a row. Um, it was really, really obnoxious. It's actually uh, changed hands a couple times in the last couple years. B is actually our reigning champion right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anytime we get to beat him, it's kind of nice. Um, yeah, we just got really tired of him beating our asses year after year. Yeah, seriously. He even texted me during the draft this year, and he's like, I'm not even trying to win. He's like, I'm building just whatever team I want to. And he's like, but it, he told me, he's like, it makes it fun again. Um, yeah. Because I'm not, like, so worried about winning. Um, so, yeah, but... But we're excited that football is back. Um, I, w- I really hope the Falcons can win some games. I don't think we'll have Matt Ryan next year. I'll say that. I mean, I think yeah, we will. I don't think so either. Like for a little bit until we transition into whatever quarterback we pick up. Um, 
Other than the football, I have I decided to rewatch um, Christopher Nolan's filmography. I just like really wanted to watch the Batman movies again, um, and then watching them, they're all on or like a a good chunk of his movies are just on HBO anyways. Um, like Inception's on there and Dunkirk uh, and Insomnia, uh, which I've actually never seen. Um, I forget it's him all the time, but I've never seen I, him. Yeah, it's like a thriller movie. I think Robin Williams is in it. Um, I'm not sure. Or it might be... Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I've never seen it, so... But I will say, I've made it through the Batman trilogy and Inception. And I have some unpopular opinions about those movies that I'll throw on throw on the podcast just, just for funsies. Ooh. Uh, yeah. I'm excited, because we'll see if I can chime in on those. Um, I... Like Tom Hardy as Bane, um, a lot of people do not. Uh, especially a lot of people hate his accent that he chose for that movie. Um, I, I like, I love it because it's so weird, um, and I think it's just like a really, like, strange thing, um, and it doesn't like I won't offend me at all. Any Tom Hardy slander, just ever. Well, yeah. Also, he was like <laughs> jacked as shit in that movie. Um, he's huge. Like, I mean, I knew, I remembered he like got in shape for it, but then rewatching it, I was like, "Holy crap, he's massive!" Um, so that's that's uh, unpopular opinion number one. Two, uh, I also don't hate Christian Bale's Batman voice. Um, I think that it sounds goofy when he talks more. Like, the more he has to talk in a row, the goofier it sounds because it's it is like you know a very exaggerated like kind of voice um and he does this thing you know where he like pushes his lips together that looks kind of silly but um i like christian Bale's batman voice and then unpopular opinion number three jumping over to inception i do not think inception's a very good movie like at all i think it is beautifully filmed and has like it's stacked it's like cast it's just so ridiculously stacked um, again, Tom Hardy, uh, JGL, you know, uh, Leo, uh, Elliot Page, just so, so ridiculously stacked. But overall, the movie, I'm just like, it's, it's, it's fine. It's super convoluted. I mean, it's such a bizarre plot synopsis or like plot and like, um, the conceit of the movie is so dense. Like they have to spend like an hour explaining to you what the hell is happening. Like just to understand like dream this weird inception dream theft stuff and i'm like this is just too much like it's too heady i think it tries too much um so yeah those are my three unpopular christopher nolan opinions two of which aren't even negative uh, in saying that i like christian bale's batman voice and and tom hardy as bane uh those are actually positive things but um the inception thing and like i still like on let on my letterbox i gave it a three because i'm still like it's brilliantly acted it's a beautiful mm-hmm. movie like it's stunning to see but like the i'm like the, every time i've seen it like three times i think now and i definitely know every time i've seen it i'm like this plot is stupid <laughs> yeah i mean and it's hard too to like not give credit to a film that was such like a pop culture phenomenon like that one was um, yeah. Like, obviously, that doesn't necessarily make a movie good, but it does um, if it spoke to the masses at a certain time. Like, I think that's worth recognizing, giving the film credit 
whether it was for good good or bad reasons. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not... Nolan's work, I think, besides the Batman movies, which I want to say maybe I've seen twice, once in theaters and once at home. Um, they're just not... They're movies I watch and I go like... Okay, visually very stunning. Mm-hmm. And then I don't ever have a desire to return to them. Yeah. I would say outside of Batman. I, and because that's I'm a huge superhero fan. Right. Like, and I just go to other Batman movies. Like, right. I'd rather watch literally any of the other ones. See, I always just go to Dark Knight. Um, because, and like, even loving the Nolan trilogy, like, if I'm looking for something that's like, like, fun to watch, I'm going to put on, yeah, like you said, like, batman batman returns batman forever like any of those um because they're just like really fun and still really good movies Mm -hmm. um but dark knight i mean i think is is stellar i will say i'll give batman begins credit like rewatching it now because it's actually been a while since i've rewatched that one uh it was much better than i remember it being like i was actually uh, impressed by like how good that movie actually was because i always just like Dark Knight's on a pedestal in my head, you right. know? And, and I'm always like, yeah, the other two are fine. Um, but watching Batman Begins, I was like, oh, this movie's actually, like, really good. And, like, to remember what it was like... I was I was trying to explain that... I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, but I was, like, explaining I was like... Because they were younger. And I was like, you have to remember, like, when Batman Begins came out, superhero movies didn't exist like that. Like, that was the first time anyone had taken, a, like, a very grounded, real approach to a superhero movie. Like, it was a big deal. It changed it changed things for a long time. And it wasn't until, really, like, until Marvel, like, kicked into full gear that, like, things kind of went, shifted back on the pendulum. Because um, for a long time, like, I feel like places just tried to, like, kind of keep that, like, serious, gritty, grounded. I mean, DC still kind of does it, Zack Snyder. Um but like that approach to comic book movies was very very different mm-hmm. uh, but uh overall dark knight still rules and heath ledger was absolutely amazing r.i.p r.i.p indeed he was the best um he's he best. yeah he's my favorite joker um and he probably always will be yeah i have a i always loved him oh yeah he died on my birthday Oh. He died on my sweet 16. Yikes. That's a Yeah, it was a really present. shitty birthday. Yeah. He was like one of the first actors that died that I like. I mean, I was 16. I was at the age where I was, you know, in the la- the few years before that I'd really just started to become like a fan of things and right. like sort of obsessing over things. Um and Heath Ledger was definitely one of those actors that I obsessed over. And I was super, like, A Knight's Tale is one of my favorite movies. I had seen um, 10 Things I Hate About You, like, one million times. I could quote yep. the whole entire movie at that point. Like, and he was one of those actors, especially, he was just getting kind of big at that time. But before mm-hmm. that, he, he was sort of one of the first actors that I felt kind of this, like, hipster claim over. That it's like, oh, yeah, well, I like, I've seen all of his movies and I really like him. And like, I knew him before Batman. And then, you know, yeah, it was, it's so sad. It's so tragic. Yeah. 
it's yeah our relationships with celebrities are weird like how a complete stranger who you know doesn't have any idea who any of us are like I can tell you exactly where I was when I found out he died. And, you know, it's, like, yeah, that's strange. Yeah. yeah like, uh, his death made my 16th birthday bad. Like, honestly, like, I couldn't shake my sadness the whole day. And that it's, it's strange. Yeah. Paul Walker did that to yeah. me real bad. When Paul Walker died, Dude. Jeremy Jeremy tells that story all the time because I was at work. And we were at work. It was a midnight launch. So we were there, like, late because, you know, we got the news. Like, the, the news broke later that at, that night. And um, I remember I was, like, in denial. I literally was like, well, only yeah. one website's reporting it, so, yeah. like, it's not real, right? Like, until we get some It's 100% how claim. I felt about Paul Walker. Yeah, and then, I was like, like there's as, no way that's real. Yeah, and then it just kept coming in. I was like, and I was so bummed. I was just like, because at that point, I had, like, fully fallen in love with the Fast and the Furious franchise, um, which made me retroactively go back and, like, love everything Paul Walker had done because I, like... You know, that's how it works when you fall in love with a franchise. You, like, support those actors. And mm-hmm. so, like, I just was, like, super all in on Paul Walker. And I was, like, heartbroken when he passed away. Yeah. Anton Yelkin, that was another one that I just did not believe was true. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, oh, yeah. That one was that one was rough, too. Oh, I still yikes. haven't watched the movie because I'm just afraid I'll sob. What movie? The doc on him. Um What's oh, called? I didn't even realize there was one. Oh my Absolutely gosh! Absolutely not. Yeah, it's called no. like Dear. No, uh, don't even talk about it. It's gonna be. Yeah, me cry. I can't. Um, but it's. I mean, it's. I. I know someone who watched it and like they were like, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's just like heartbreaking because he was just such a young talent and like so talented and on the rise. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that was our way to bring you down right at the beginning of the show. Yeah, um, there, there we go. Start you off. Yeah, um, what, let's what see. have you been on, up to, Babs? On a positive note, um, this weekend I celebrated 10 years with my husband. Um, so we started dating 10 years ago as of Sunday, and our uh, wedding anniversary um, was last Thursday. So we've been married for four years and together for 10 which is crazy. So I will be 30 in January. So I've spent a third of my life in a relationship with my husband, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I go, go us. Yeah. A no, couple, couple kids awesome. later. Speaking of, you just text me a video <laughs> scrolling into my side of the bed. And he says, I'm cuddling with a dirty diaper. So uh, I forgot that I changed our daughter on the bed and left the diaper there. So the romance is alive in our bedroom. (laughs) It's just, you know, 10 years in and dirty diapers in the bed with us. But yeah, it's great. Um, I feel very lucky and happy and um, I'm excited for the you know next 10 years with kiddos along with us it's uh definitely makes things more interesting yeah um i know it's crazy just even think because so um every time one of them has a birthday today is um like our best friends jared and Lindsay, their daughter uh cohen who be like frequently babysits like she's auntie b and i'm uncle ryan um it's her second birthday and so uh, I called her, I FaceTimed her, and it's just, like, so weird 
I don't know. It, like, same thing with Leah when he turned two. I'm just like, it's weird that they're two. I'm like, how are you mm-hmm. two? I remember, like, holding you in the in the hospital. And, mm-hmm. like, it's just, like, it's a weird, it changes how time works for you. Like, I can't imagine what it's like for you to see it daily. And, like, you know, I just pop in every, like, I mean, I see the pictures of them all the time. But, like, um, like to, when I get to actually see them, it's, like, every couple months. But, like, it's just, even, I was there a month ago. And even, like, on the video with Cohen, I was like, you look like you've grown. Like, what the hell, kid? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's weird. You don't, you notice it and you don't when you're in it every day. It's like Liam change and both, I mean, both of them. Um, they change so much every single day that it just becomes your normal. And then I, the part that's kind of sad is like, you just can't really remember what it was like before this. So I'm like in a big phase of that with like, I'll like get the, I'm getting these videos that pop up on my phone that say like, oh, a year ago, this is what you were doing. And you know, Liam was like 18 months old a year ago. And it was like a big change in his development. And he was walking around and like, I see videos. I'm like, God, I, I can barely remember like him as that person. Cause it's different when you're adults or even like young adults or teenagers, like it's not like the core of like your behavior really changes that much right? for the most part. Where, like, in the last year, I could not... If you asked me, like, oh, like, at 18 months, like, what was Liam's personality like? I, I couldn't tell you. Right. Where somebody, like, who only sees him every couple of months or, you know, so might be able to tell you better. Um, it's just because it's so rapid and so crazy, the time just... It just disappears. And you just basically have to be in the now because... It's rapid and ever-evolving, and two weeks ago, you're like, oh, that was two weeks ago? I Okay. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It's wild. Every, yeah, every part of how you live your life and see life changes once you have, like, littles in your house. Very excited to see what the future holds for them and for them to keep making me feel older and older. That's another thing they really do. They definitely, like, nail in how old you are because you're like, no, you can't be that old because that means I'm this old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They really hammer that home. The perspective Uh, just really, really gets you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's good. But, yeah, I mean, we've been... I was going to say what, oh, I did, what did I watch? I feel like, oh, I watched, um, I was like, I know I watched something that I wanted to talk about really quickly. I watched Curse of Chucky. Oh. So I've got one left. and I've got Colt left. I've, yeah, I've got Colt left and I've officially seen them all. So I'm prepping for the show. Um, so Ben and I watched Curse. Uh, You've seen the remake? I have seen the remake. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did not care for the remake. I thought it was fine. Like, for me, it was just, like, an inoffensive remake. It was, like, it exists. Yeah. Yeah, I I did not hate it. I just wasn't. It's just not something I'm going to, like, return to. I just, I like Aubrey Plaza. I absolutely hated her in that role. Yeah, it was a weird role. A weird role for her, and I just couldn't. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I just, I think she was extremely miscast for that. I couldn't put that aside. I thought the new uh, doll was good and 
the kid was I, that fine. That kill was cool. Yeah, it was fine. A good kill. But yeah, um, Curse I was like good. Uh, was... I like Curse a lot actually. Yeah. I really, really like the final girl a lot. Um, she was super good. The rest of the cast was not amazing. Yeah, it's um, pretty campy. Yeah, it was pretty campy. Felt, you know, it definitely feels different. You can tell that these are more like honed back. Um, but I think for for what they had to work with, it was fun. Um, like I said, I mean, I think it was helped by a really awesome final girl. And it does a good setup. Like, by the time the movie's over and it's setting you up for Colt, yeah. very... I was like, okay, well, now I want to watch Colt, like, right now. Yeah. What I did really enjoy about Curse, because I love Ride, um, and I've really come around on Seed, too. Um, I like Seed a lot. Yeah. Um, but, like, what I really like about Curse is, like, it really returns to its slasher roots, um, because that kind of is you lose that a little in curse and seed because there's such there's it's a lot of comedy um mm-hmm. and like yeah so i i like the return to that you know who the final girl is right like in real Isn't life it brad dorf's daughter yeah it's fiona dora yeah. yeah i love that i love yeah that. like no that's that. super awesome too and i'm like i said i mean i thought she was great i was like dang like yeah i'm yeah. super excited for the show because it all super is still excited tied in it's mancini so like it's the mancini universe of jucky so i'm stoked yeah i'm super excited yeah ben was looking up uh fiona actually because he's like she looks really familiar i'm like she's been in a lot of horror stuff and he looks her up he's like oh my god yeah she's like only in horror stuff and he and he's like oh she's in the new show i'm like i know that's what i keep telling you like if they've been in chucky like if they've been in the child's play franchise they're gonna be in the show yeah that um even andy from two is gonna be in it which i'm super stoked on because i love her and she never showed up again after two i think she's in a post credit for colt but i think that was like her first return to the franchise after two yeah exciting yeah, and speaking of legacy horror, that is actually what we are covering today. Um, we are covering Candyman from 2021. Um, so, uh, I'm sure most of you know what this movie is. Uh, uh-huh. The brief synopsis, Rotten Tomatoes synopsis was literally like two paragraphs, and I was like, no. Um, so, a sequel to the horror film Candyman, 1992, that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. Um, it was released... August 27th, 2021, it just hit, uh, we were recording this on the 21st, it hit streaming last Friday, um, so it is available, yeah, on demand now, um, originally scheduled for June 12th, 2020, but was one of the many movies that was pushed, uh, due to COVID, uh, first is September 25th, then October 16th, those were both 2020 dates, and then, uh, it eventually got pushed to August of 2021. Oh shit, all right. Remember, remember that yeah when it, like when we were unsure so like movies started like just getting like a couple weeks it was like well um and then you know what's funny like venom the new venom got pushed too already because they were so worried about delta even though that has kind of it has not been as bad as they thought it would be um or wait did like, it get pushed again isn't it coming out in like a week it was they supposed to be october it? 1st they pushed it pushed it again yeah um, I think it's like two weeks later, so I think it's like October fifteenth, but it's still pushed again. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so um, I'm very I'm I 
I will see it because I love Tom Hardy, and uh, it has a post-credit scene that is supposed to be absolutely bonkers. I was in the minority. I really liked the first one a lot. <sighs> I like parts of it. No, I really liked it, so I'm excited. I love Tom Hardy. The man is just literally oh, As I've already said. Yeah. He can do like, no wrong. No, he is, like, he encapsulates, like, what swagger and charisma is. Like, he... Um, but I thought Michelle Williams was horrible. I was going to say, the only thing I will say, my only qualm when I left was like, she, it wasn't even necessarily her. It was just, just the chemistry. them together. Oh my God. Like they have no chemistry. Zero. I was like, you whatsoever. guys are like the least believable couple I've ever like, seen. Yeah, I think they just wanted both of them and just didn't bother to like screen test them or see if they really no because no which is what they're both such talented actors like both of them are so talented and like but like just nothing about them we'll see maybe maybe it gets fixed in the in the second one also uh woody harrelson i love woody harrelson i mean i'm i'm excited for the sequel apparently not excited enough to know it got pushed but i don't think that's my, my news wheelhouse I'm excited. I'll be excited for any superhero movie that comes out, realistically. Um, even, but, like, I just... The CG is super muddy at the end of Venom. Like, it turns into such a CG fest, which, like, I get it. It has to be based on, like, what his powers are and stuff. But, like, because he's fighting another symbiote, I'm like... It's just, like... like I'm excited for Carnage because Carnage, at least, is bright red. So, But, like, they decided to make the symbiote, like, at the end of Venom, like, the same color. So, uh-huh. like, that final fight scene, I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, I have literally no idea what's happening. I, I think we talked about it on the podcast, but, like, yeah, I mean, it's just the type of action that I like. Yeah. Uh, it's, just it's, it's a it's, little over the top, a little silly. I mean, like, I normally, re- I'm a Fast and the Furious fan. Like, I do not mind over the top and silly at all. Um, but, like, it was I just because I couldn't I see anything. It. Yeah. Right. And then also the, some of the writing. Like, I just, like, uh, some of the, like, some of the Venom in particular. I love Eddie and the symbiote talking. But, like, sometimes when, like, Venom is just talking, I'm like, I don't know who wrote this. But nonetheless, <laughs> I'm excited for the sequel. Anywho. Yeah, anyway. Apparently we just want to talk about superhero movies today. Yeah, I guess so. Just popping up. So, um, the budget was $25 million, and so far it's made $68 million in the box office. Um, I imagine it's not, I mean, what is it? Um, it's been in the a month. I, I don't uh, foresee month, it getting yeah. any crazier numbers. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure the on-demand numbers are going to... I mean, that it's still successful, even at that. That's very successful. Oh, yeah. Um, like, they're definitely considering it a, a success, um, you know, that's over double the production budget. And in the times of, like, you know, we are still in pandemic times, to do that is very, very good. Um, well, yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of people that... I mean, we're not going to the theater right now for, I mean, a myriad of reasons. Yeah, uh, I was going to say I you got two, two babies. I've yeah. got two kids. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the movies. And I was like, when the hell am I going to go to the movies? But I really wanted to see Candy Van, and it wasn't on demand. And I was, like, frustrated by that. And then it popped up. I'm like, oh, thank God, because I was going to have to, like, I don't know, load the kids up and go to the drive-in and hope they slept through the slashing. <laughs> Um, yeah, but still, still a success. So, uh, which is great for, um, 
Nia DaCosta. It's just awesome to see a, a black woman um, succeed as a director uh, because we definitely need some more of that all around yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, what? There was some record. I'm pretty she sure broke. she is the. I'm pretty sure it's the highest grossing movie ever for a black female director. Um, I don't. I, I I'll double check, um, but it is something like that. Um, say maybe Ava DuVernay might have that. But what has she directed? She's more producing, right? I don't think Wrinkle in yeah, Time well, did she very directed well. the what is that one that I saw it in theaters with uh, Oprah and Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling? Yeah, a, and, a Wrinkle in Time. Right? A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I don't think it did very well. I thought that was a major flop. Yeah, um, but a flop for a movie that probably cost a hundred million dollars right. to make. But anywho, I know she yeah. did. Ryan will look it up. But I know she did yeah. hit hit some cool record. So Ryan will look it up. Um, yeah. Right now on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 84%. Um, critics' consensus states Candyman takes an incisive, visually thrilling approach to deepening the franchise's mythology and terrifying audiences along the way. Um, yeah. I agree. <laughs> um Mark Feeney of the Boston Globe said, Acute and skillfully made, Candyman is also pointedly political. I mean, yes. Yeah. It is. We all knew it was going to be. But I mean, so was the original. Yeah. (laughs) So are most horror movies. Um, Dana Stevens of Slate said, Sometimes fails to trust its audience's intelligence enough to let it let us make our own connections but it does amply display that this young filmmaker has style and promise to burn um i mean i also agree with that i do too which is why i included it um yeah because i i there were a couple times where i felt like um they over explain things and like they're holding your hand through the movie right and i was like no we we understand this (laughs) like like, yeah we we know what's going on here um so I, I, that's why I put it in there because it was still a positive review, but it did make a, you know, a note of that. I'm going to find this record sooner or later when my internet decides to catch up um, with me. Well, it's good timing because we're at the poster. So um, the poster, the theatrical poster, and if you saw like the teasers that came out for uh, the film, I'll share them to our socials, but... Good Lord, were they so good and featured the um, cut-out art that's also in um, the film itself to, like, do some of the the in-the-past storytelling. It uses, like, shadow art and, like, cutting out of paper. So that was always in the teaser, so I was super excited to see the, um, the poster and the typography choice that they used for the... Uh, logo itself is that effect as well like it looks like it's cut out paper um, for the font and so the poster has like the Candyman figure just the back and then the hook is raised and across uh, Candyman's back it says say it and then at the bottom Candyman all of the text love the tagline it's I mean, it's wonderful. It's obviously a massive theme of the movie. It's said a lot in the film. Um, I mean, it's the, it's the legend of Candyman. It's what you have to do. You have to say his name. So, I mean, I 
can't even imagine entertaining a different tagline than yeah. one that has to do with this. Um, I like that. So there was a lot of unknowns going into the film. Like, is it going to be Tony Todd? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to be like this guy that we're seeing in the trailer? Like, is it him? Like the trailer kind of alluded that maybe he was the candy man, but then you know, you hear the voice and you're like, wait, no, that, I mean, that kind of sounds like Tony Todd. Like, I like that they keep it ambiguous, even though Candyman is not a masked figure and he is a killer that we get to know in the film. It's not like a whodunit. Uh, I love that they've kept it sort of ambiguous on the poster. Um, So I think for a big studio release 2021 film this poster is very appropriate i think it works really well i mean is there more fun and creative solutions and they could could they have done some other stuff with like the there's so many imagery things related to Candyman. there's like a million options but you know when it comes down to it like that's what we're going to see on still books and you know like the physical media that comes out for a theatrical poster this is great this is something that you're gonna walk past the movie theater and you're gonna go like oh shoot what's that what's that horror movie right yeah so i think it's great for that i really do um by the way the record was she is the first black female director to hold the top of the box office so yeah it wasn't the actual total box office but she was number one at the box office First black woman to do that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Congrats. Um, as we mentioned, tagline say it, and then um, dare to say his name is another big one, which uh, again just ties perfectly into the movie. Um, and by th- by the way, in case anyone is a new listener or doesn't know, we will have heavy spoilers on this show. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, no sequels, but this is a. Um, so it was interesting. I was actually like curious to see, um, and like, there's no, I didn't find like official word, but according to IMDb, um, it is a sequel to just the original Candyman and discards the other two from continuity, um, which is an interesting trend we've been seeing in horror a lot lately. Um, I talked about last week. Yeah. So, um, like. I haven't watched the third Candyman in a long time because I don't care for it very much. I actually really like the second one, so I've seen it a couple times. Like, this could have easily been a sequel to the second Candyman as well. Um, I'm wondering if they decided to just make it a sequel to the first one just to keep it easier. Um, Because, like, obviously the the second and third one were, like, not, like, big box office movies. And, like, they were definitely, like... um, you know, more straight to video fare. Uh, so I wonder if they were just like, we're just going to keep this a sequel to, you know, the big one. Uh, but it could, I, I don't know about the third one because I can't remember what happens at the end. But like from the second one, I think this could have been a con- uh, a continuation of that movie. Well, yeah. And it's like what we talked about in the last episode. It's like frustrating as horror fans that now we have Candyman 2 which is what this is, but really it's Candyman 2021 because it's not the remake because it's not a remake. Right. I mean, 
the it not only do the characters from Candyman 1992 exist in this film, but they're in it. Right. Like it's very much a sequel. Like it's so, the most frustrating one to me is Halloween. Because well actually no, that and this because like yeah, realistically it's going to be the same. It's like the sequel to your movie movie has the same title as the original movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it's it's not a it's not a reboot. Like if it was no. re- like when Rob Zombie's Halloween came out, you're like this is a reboot to the franchise. Yeah. So that makes sense. Friday this 13th. Is... This is a reboot to your franchise. Yeah. When this is a direct sequel to your movie, so your movie's called Halloween and the sequel's called Halloween. Yeah. Come on guys. Like it's it a little frustrating. It makes me so mad. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I get it. I really do. How many people were they potentially missing out who wouldn't check out this movie if it was right. called Candyman right. 2 or Candyman Lives or whatever? Yeah, yeah. whatever you want to, you know, tag on to it to show that it's not just Candyman. But I don't know. At least do like a, like a Texas Chainsaw situation and call it the Candyman. Like, you right. know, I even or, appreciate you know, that. Or like Black Xmas, you know, but that's also a remake. Yes. So, oh, I just. I don't know. Um, how how great would it just been wait if for they us just... to have this conversation again when we cover Halloween in a month, and this conversation again when we cover Scream, Scream. Five? That's really yeah. Scream. Yeah. How great would it have been if they decided to just troll everyone and both the sequels to the new Halloween were also just called Halloween? <laughs> if it was Halloween followed this... by Halloween twenty twenty one followed by Halloween twenty twenty four. I mean, at this point, I just. Yeah, it's the Halloween tr- trilogy. Which movie yeah. do you want to watch? Halloween 2021. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, as we mentioned, uh, Nia DaCosta is the director of this movie. Holy crap, if you weren't following along during, like, nonstop people were promoting it as Jordan Peele's Candyman, which Jordan Peele is a, a producer on this, um, yes. and so it is not his Candyman. Um, it, he like produced and he helped write it, but he did not direct this movie. This is yeah, Nia Degas's. It's like that massive phase where everything that Eli Roth produced was yeah. Eli Ruth's, Eli Ruth, Eli Roth's The Last Exorcism. Right, right. Um, he was a producer on that movie, but yeah. the that's a trend that, that needs po- to go away. It does. It yeah. does need to go away. Um, you can definitely promote your producers and. You should, uh, but they should never overpower the people who directed and wrote the film. Right. I mean, every Blumhouse movie is from the producer of what whatever Blumhouse movie was huge right before it. But, like, it's not Jason Blum's, you know. Um, but she has directed uh, Little Woods before this, and then she uh, is also the director for The Eternals, which is Marvel's, like, Christmas movie, essentially, this year. Or is that Spider-Man? I think maybe it's Marvel's Thanksgiving no, movie. No, uh, the Christmas one is... Oh, you mean coming out on Christmas? I'm yeah, like, yeah, I just, yeah. I think the, Spider... The, no? Hawkeye. Oh, yeah, Hawkeye is also dropping around Christmas. But it's um, Christmas. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, it comes out on Christmas? No, I mean, the show is Christmas. Like, it's taking oh, place yes. during Christmas. Yes, it is. Um, I think Eternals is actually november uh but yes she is helming that which is going to be a big part of their new phase four i think we're in now with marvel i can't keep track phase five four or five somewhere around there yeah but i'm excited yeah 
I mean, she has proven to me that she is a very talented director and, like, visually stunning. So I'm super excited to see what she does with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was written by Nita Costa, uh, Jordan Peele, who, I mean, we all know. Um, us, Get Out, um, Key and Peele. Love Key and Peele. <laughs> you know. Um, other things. What is that movie, Keanu? Oh, yeah, Keanu, yeah. Uh, he's also has a role in the TV show uh, Life in Pieces. Wow, I did not know that. Yes. Um, you know, Jordan Peele. Uh, the Twilight Zone. Just all around lovable guy. Yeah. And then uh, when Rosefeld, um, who's frequent collaborator with um, Jordan Peele. Yeah, um, almost on every one of his projects as a producer, this is the first one as a writer um and then i thought this was interesting too so the score which i just loved um like was so in love with the score is robert achey aubrey low um and it is his first score like first film that he's done um he's worked in the music department on some like notable movies it comes at night um arrival mm-hmm. sicario um that movie mother by arnofsky was in the musical department on that one um but this is the first one that he has scored outside of like shorts and i just was like blown away by that because i think it's really good um like really really good um and i thought it did a good job of paying tribute to the original too um if you guys don't know the original was very famously scored by philip glass who is a like super famous composer and classical artist um and so it was like a really big deal when that movie came out that he did a score for like a horror movie um and i thought this did a really good job of like shaping its own but also there were definitely like nods to philip glass's score in this yeah i mean which i think because this is a sequel, I think that's necessary. I mean, I I think you can't just completely, even if it's, holy shit, 30 years later. Yeah, oh 92. That's the year I was born. So 30, okay. 29 years later. Um, if it's, it doesn't matter, like if you're having this continuation you need to have something that ties them together. Yeah, and I love, like, just, you know, it doesn't have to be the same the same exact thing. I'm a huge fan of the score in Halloween 2018, mm-hmm. which was done by John Carpenter and his son. Um, and it's, like, an updated version of the Halloween right. score, which I was a bit, like, it starts with that classic, you know, the uh, the like, the classic intro into the Halloween theme, but then, like, it's, like, a full... Yeah, it's like, very different. Full sounding. Yeah, yeah, it's very different. Um, but, like, it still, you know, pays tribute to, like, where it came from. So, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the cinematographer, um, ooh, John Gulasarian, um, who's done Friends from College, R.I.P., that show. Um, I put it in there because I know you're a fan. Yeah, I love that show. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, Key and Peele. Yeah. <laughs> um, love, Simon, and About Time. So that's an interesting uh, collection of things. I've seen all of those things. Um, all very different. They're all very different. And, like, whereas, like, I mean, all of them are very competently filmed. Yeah. Uh, 
but like never was I just like, oh, that was beautiful. And this movie, I was like, there was so much of this movie that I, that I was like, holy shit, that shot, like, like numerous times in this movie. Well, and it's funny, you know, because I famously don't enjoy urban horror uh, for a combination of reasons. But honestly, a big, big part of it is because of how it looks. The the gray and like monotone look of urban horror is just not something aesthetically I enjoy looking at. And so it's it's hard to get into a movie where it doesn't look good to you. You're like, uh, and this was so not that. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it takes place in Chicago, but it was so bright mm-hmm. and just full of not even color, but just life. Yeah, yeah. And I think Nia and John both very much took advantage of the art house setting. Right. Because, like, they do so much with. With not just, like, when they're in the galleries, but, like, the the idea that this is from that artistic side, you know? Exactly. Because there are so many shots that are composed like an artist, um, and I think that really helped take away from what, like, like you said, those movie like, those urban set movies that a lot of the times are those grays and those browns, lots of brownstones, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, those grays and those browns, and they can be a little monochromatic, and, like, this was just not that. Uh, well, and yeah, I think it even, used a lot of, like, stark, like, whites to really... Well, yeah, like, and even when they're in, like, you know, uh, Cabrini Heights and, like, all the ivy growing on the buildings, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a different perspective, and it's exactly what you already said, and it's what I was thinking, like, afterwards, is that... It's showing a different perspective, and I think it's it's also paying into that idea that even though there's there's so much crime going on, there's so many bad things happening, but look at how glossy. Mm-hmm. Like, look on the appearance. Like, it's been gentrified. Look how nice it is, you know? And then right. here it is, like, getting ruined, like... I think that's it, they played it that way instead of saying like, oh yeah, like this is the ghetto, it's bad, and like now it's nice, but we're gonna show you, and it's like, no, wait, hold on, let's let's sort of show this other side of it that, you know, it appears to be bright and happy and nice, but it it really isn't. Right. Yeah. Um. No, I was stunned with with like a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the visual stuff in this. Um, and then our editor is um, Katrin Headstrom, who worked with Nia on Littlewoods, and that's pretty much her only other credit. Um, so, awesome. uh, obviously, going to be uh, like probably a, a, a collaborating team here. Well, um, and it's it's really exciting to cover something that I mean, you know, we talk about it like what what was the atmosphere and the the buzz about some of these movies you know when they came out you know when we're covering things from the 80s the 70s even the 90s like you know we don't really have that perspective of our own of what things were like and so it's kind of cool when we do these newer movies and this i mean this is a blum production like this is a uh a blockbuster horror movie but we're able to like look at all these credits and go like you know this 
this these people could all be something like we could be looking at a movie in 10 15 years and being like oh yeah and it's you know Nia DaCosta who directed this and this and this and this and this and right. how we got all nerded out and excited to be like oh it's Katrin Hedstrom who did remember like did right. Candyman you know it's like exciting right. when you get to that because we get excited when we see like you know a cinematographer pops up that you know we saw on like three or four movies that we've already done you know what oh, we've yeah. done about 80 like, films so we have a yeah. lot of crossover and think those of films um, already. how stoked we were that Beltrami did Fear, Fear Street. Like, yeah, it's it's cool to be in on the on the ground floor for someone and be like, oh wow, like I I know that name. Yeah, um, I'm gonna handle this name because I specifically looked up how to pronounce it. Um, so uh, it's Yaya Abdul Mateen is our lead. Anthony McCoy uh, slash spoilers the Candyman, um and he is most famously known he has a very big um pretty like sizable filmography already but he's most well known for um he's in aquaman um as black manta which i threw that in because well he's most well known for him but also james wan so a little bit of a horror tie-in there um and then he was in the Watchmen tv series as uh again well i don't I, you might watch that one day so i don't want to spoil anything but he's in the Watchmen tv series um and he was excellent in that movie or in that show i was i loved him so much and when they I forgot that show existed is that done oh yeah it was only one season it oh okay done. yeah um and it is watch it. so good um and when they announced him as Candyman, i was just so, so excited um and then we have uh Tana paris as brianna cartwright did not even realize this i mean she's in um if beale street could talk she's also in wandavision did not real i didn't even con- make that connection she's monica uh, Rambo from WandaVision, um, which I like literally had no idea. That's um, so funny. And yeah, I don't even know why I didn't make that connection. It's not like she even looks that much different. She doesn't, but th- how she acts is so yeah. different. Yeah, it's, a it's very so different. different. It's yeah, she's so much so- more like tight and composed in this film. Yeah, oh, um, that's funny. Yeah, I loved her in WandaVision. Me too. I also, look- like, yeah, I wasn't like, I was. I haven't looked up a single thing about this stupid movie because I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch it when it came out in theaters. And so, like, I didn't know anybody who was in it. And I don't typically watch trailers. Like, I just saw the teaser for this film. I try not to watch trailers. And so, I think when I was watching it, I was just, like, so, like, in right the yeah, tunnel it. that yeah. it didn't even hit me. I mean, that's, I think that's how I felt watching it in the theater, too, because it was just, I was just, like, so, like, so excited and just, like, bought in and sucked in. Um, Nathan Stewart Jarrett as Troy Cartwright. That's uh, Brianna's brother. Um, he He's in a lot of things, but I most notably knew him from The Misfits show on BBC. Um, Coleman Domingo as William Burke, also very famous actor. Um, most recently was in Euphoria and Fear the Walking Dead, and he's mm-hmm. also a uh, famous Tony Award-winning Broadway star. Yeah, uh, I recognized him from Euphoria. Yeah, I he's in that. I mean, he so he is um, Rue. Is that her name in that show? I think um, Zendaya. Um, can't remember her name in that show but uh she he's her sponsor mm-hmm. um did you watch that episode like the singular mm-hmm. episode the special I, mm-hmm. I thought that episode blew my mind because you haven't I watched it was... the show right you only watch no i've watched the show oh, no okay. i watched the show i watched the show and then both the specials i watched i binged it all but that ep- that special i was like i love single setting if it's done right and like 
just them in the diner, like, back and forth dialogue. Nothing in that episode happens other than them talking. And it's absolutely captivating. Um, we get Vanessa Williams as Anne-Marie McCoy. Um, and this is a obvious throwback because she is in the original Candyman movie as the same character. Um, and then everyone else is kind of just like, they don't have a lot of credits to their name. Um, Rebecca Spence as Finley Steven, the art critic. Brian King as Clive, the art dealer. Miriam Moss as Jerrica, Clive's girlfriend. Michael Hargrove as Sherman Fields, who is another one of our Candymen. And then Tony Todd, obviously, um, does come back also as a Candyman in this movie. Which was really exciting. I was just yeah, waiting and, for it. Yeah, I mean, I was too. Like, you hear that I you, didn't you heard... know. Like, I didn't have any spoilers. I didn't know, but I just, I knew, you know? Yeah, I was just like, he's so prevalent in the field still. He's still actively acting. His voice is so iconic. That and it's I was a like, sequel. And, right, and it's in the trailer, like his voices. So I, yeah. I knew at least we would get a voice cameo. Yeah. Like, well, like even we did they... with um, Helen. Right, like Virginia Madsen does a yeah. voice. Yeah, she does a voice. Actually, you know, I, I is that the trivia that I included? Uh, no, there, there is a fun fa- uh, like fact in there. But I did find out that she, there was a script that had Helen with a larger role, and they they like cut it. Mm. Um, so she was originally intended to possibly like actually return into the movie. Um, and this is a supernatural slasher um definitely you know um yeah uh, like fits it always like i put it i always like equate it with the nightmare just the style of of our killer yeah it's like a supernatural slasher it's it's an urban horror in two ways urban and setting and urban legend right um yeah i mean that's what fuels this this film for sure Mm -hmm. Um, so, our killer. So, Candyman. Right, uh, obviously. Big surprise. So, it's... We have two, technically, in this... Three, technically. We get Sherman from the very start oh, of the movie. Oh, true, true. Yeah. And then... Um, okay, and so then, we have three in this one. Yeah. 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 So we have three. So we have Sherman, who is introduced as our Candyman, basically, in this movie. So the, as the plot is going on and we're learning things, we're, we're learning the story about Sherman, the Candyman. Um, and as that evolves, it's plays with the idea that, you know, perhaps it's Anthony who is just sort of being haunted by his memory and he's the one actually doing the killing and it's not Sherman himself. Um, And then, so like that's teased, but I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, I mean, that's not true. He's not the one. It really is Sherman doing the killing. It's not him. Not until he's killed. Not until he's killed. And then right. he is the killer. Yeah. Um, they just, they. I mean, they want you to believe he's crazy. I mean, obviously, like, nobody's going to actually believe you, like, that an urban legend has come to life and is killing all these people that you happen to interact with because you 
awoke the spirit, basically. Right. Um, and then once he is killed, he becomes the Candyman and enacts these killings on the police officers. And then as that's as he's killing the last cop, he basically transforms. And that's when we get our 1992 Candyman and it's Tony Todd. So those right. are three Candyman that we see in this movie. Right. Um, and it's it's basically kind of what they changed the mythology from, you know, the original, whereas in the original it's just Daniel Robita um, is Candyman. Like, as our character um, Burke explains in this, like, if basically every time a, a black man is wrongly accused and also i mean killed killed by police brutality or mob mentality um they kind of become the newest candy man um so like that's a, a definitely a change to the mythology mm-hmm. here um but but like we still because of how the movie ends like daniel robota i think always exists as the candy man and um like he is like kind of an ever-present version of the candy man spirit but a lot of the times when it manifests it is manifesting as the person that was killed most recently and wrongfully Um, yeah that's yeah exactly that's the idea that they're giving you like when the movie ends and like we can get into it a little bit later, but I mean, like we said, they pretty much hold your hand until like the very final act of the movie, and then it's kind of like, wait, fuck, what's happening? And then it gets a yeah, little the insane. The end is, the end it's, is wild. It's interesting. Um, it gets a little like batshit for I don't know what the runtime is, uh, um, twenty minutes. Um, but that that is my understanding as well. That it's sort of like Candyman is. And, you know, that's what Burke's explaining. That's what his sort of, like, his little killer uh, monologue at the end is about, you know, Candyman is is all of us. Candyman is everyone. Candyman is every, um, you know, like Ryan said, every black man who's been wrongly accused, who's died at the hands of, you know, the police yeah. or, you know, Basically the, in, I mean, the white man. And yeah. And didn't need to, you know, and shouldn't have been. Um, And that he lives to, like, tell these stories because, you know, these men need to live on. And, yeah, that's, like, expanding the myth and creating this much larger Candyman. But then when we see... um, Robotol like become Candyman again at the end. It kind of gives you the idea that like it it's him. Like he is the Candyman, and right. it's just like he basically lets other people borrow his spirit. Essentially, like does right. that make sense? Yeah, um, and I mean he says it in the movie. Burr says it like. Candyman's not a he, it's the whole damn hive. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, like, that's the the ideology that they were going for with this. Um, and I did read, too, and I now I want to find it. I thought it was on the Wikipedia, but it's not. But um, the ending, when they are doing, like, the cutout scenes, are 
paying um, tribute to men that were killed wrongfully. Um, so there are in real life. Um, in real life, yeah. Yeah. Um, like they do, like they do also play out. You know, Daniel Robitaille and like Anthony's killings in the mm-hmm. movie, but they also are playing paying tribute to um, like. men that were m- actually murdered. Um. Yeah, so, and, like, you know, that's actually how the movie starts is this Burke telling, or, well, we we don't know it's Burke at the time, but we see, like, the 70s version of the Candyman character kind of start. Um, Which is why I didn't know where the movie was going at first, because, like, we all know the story of Daniel Robitaille, and so to see it, like, there was this actual other person, um, you know, like, the actor is very clearly not Tony Todd, Mm -hmm. um... And so to see it, I was like, oh, maybe we are going to move away from, like, that era of Candyman. Um, and and then we flash forward and meet our, like, main characters. Um, yeah, so um, before we skip over it to uh, the iconic weapon, obviously the hook hand. Super iconic. I'm so glad to have a movie back with a super iconic weapon because I love them and um, I feel like we haven't had one in a while. Um, and then our final girl is Brianna. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, Anthony's fiance, girlfriend, girlfriend, something like that. Girlfriend? Yeah. Partner? I, think so. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what their label is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, I don't think they ever explicitly say in the film. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's, you know, very. Yeah, they, they live together. They live together. They recently have started shacking up. Yes. Um, and yeah, and she is an art dealer and curator, um, and he is an artist. Uh, body count's pretty high, 16. Um, there's a lot that's not, pretty there's not high, a, holy shit. The, I mean, there's not, there's some that aren't Candyman. Um, so like we were saying at the beginning of the movie, Sherman Fields is, um, killed by the police. Um, mm-hmm. And before he becomes the embodiment of the Candyman spirit, so he is the first death. So that's not a Candyman kill. Um, and it's Candyman himself. Yeah, um, he he is like one of the Candymen. Um, and then yeah, well, then we jump in, and you know uh, we find out that Anthony has. It's just weird that his name's Anthony McCoy. We we grew up with someone named Anthony McCoy, um, so it's just like. Keeps well, off. I don't think I made the connection that that was his last name. Oh yeah, um, I didn't That's until really I, I like looked it up and I was like, oh, Teebs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you know we they're in the very gentrified Cabrini Greens apartments. Um, they are successful. Um, he is a artist that has like had a very popular and well received first installment, but has kind of since then has not been able to find inspiration. Um, and he s- kind of stumbles across the story of the Candyman, and is it's told to him by uh, Burke, who is a Cabrini Green. No, resident. it's told to him by Brianna's brother. Oh, right, and he yeah he gets the full story from Burke. Yeah, later. so yeah, yeah that Brianna's brother is like basically telling like a ghost story, like oh you know they're having dinner together and celebrating like living in the new house, and he's like, let me tell you about the Candyman, and you know. It's that's the retelling of um, the 1992 Candyman, um, Robotol's death. So, which 
you know, as you're listening to it as somebody who has seen the movie, you're like, that's not what happened. But, you know, it's very much the, like, Helen was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she and stole she this, baby. this baby. Yeah, yeah, and all this shit. And you're like, no, it's Candyman. But, um, so he tells that story. And then Anthony gets inspired and was like, huh, like, let me check this out. Like, Cabrini Green, like, let me go check out. And then he hears from Burke, like, sort of like the real story of not just Robitaille, but Sherman as well. Right. Because Burke, we find out, is the, he's the kid in the beginning of the movie that sees Sherman. And um, I don't know, killed. yeah, if it was, like, if I just wasn't, if I was just too wrapped up in it, but, or it's because I was so much in the in the path of the first movie where the kid actually does die, but, like, I was very shocked when it got to the part, and I'm like, oh, wait, the kid's alive. Like, right. when, he, when he screams and stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, so there's the kid Well, they definitely dies. psych you out, yeah. Yeah, um, no, they psych yeah. you out, they got me, for sure. Yeah, so it and it was a good like twist on things, like because you know, they play it, they hold you at arm's reach for a while, not knowing if like, oh, that's our new Candyman, like this guy who was in the wall, you know, that's our new Candyman, and he killed this kid because the kid probably said the Candyman five times, but then we find out it's like, oh no, the guy was a real person and he was on the run and he's killed by the police, uh, wrongfully accused, yeah. and you know that launches this whole thing. That was a hella creepy scene. Oh, yeah, super creepy. When he's at the wall and he's just, like, giving him candy, I was like... And he just throws what? candy out. It had very, like, Pennywise vibes to me. Yeah, I was oh, getting, yes. like, childhood flashbacks. I was like, oh, I don't like this. I, like, turned yeah. to Ben. He's watching it in bed, and I was like, I don't like this. Like, it's like creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, super creepy. Um, so Anthony creates an installment for Candyman where he literally puts it up in the art gallery and, like, challenges people to say the name. Um and it is not very well received uh everyone thinks he's like kind of a hack and that it sucks and that it's uninspired um and uh they're all very like pretentious art world people i got super velvet buzzsaw vibes during this entire scene um which i love that movie uh a lot of people don't but i love that movie and um that's what leads to our first kills is like after the art gallery is closed it's clive who works with um brianna and his girlfriend Jerrica are there, and you know they're closing up, and uh, they like dare each other to do it basically, um, to say Candyman. And sure enough, not even like two minutes after doing it, Jerrica gets her throat like slashed right open, uh, and then Clive gets manhandled for a while. Uh, that taunted like, and oh yeah, just like everything in the scene was so awesome to me i just yeah, like loved it everything good. about it just like the invisible first of all the way they make Candyman only visible in like mirrors and glass was so good it kept me on edge so much because i'm just looking everywhere i'm like where is he because like he does just like you'll see him I, like there were times so i went and saw this with my old roommate bobby because i was i saw it when i was in sacramento and we both like had moments where we're like did you see him at this part and i was like no and like i did the same with him because it's like they did such a good job of just like they're not jump scares it's so subtle and like there's no musical sting there's nothing it's like if you're not looking for it you won't see it but it's just manny it's 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 candy man just but in reflections and in glass and things and like this whole scene it's like you know this invisible claw being dragged through art installments um 
and ripping into like it's literally just an invisible force ripping into someone um and it's just like i I love the scene because he's trying to get out and he can't get the doors unlocked and so he's like holding onto the doors and he he's brought up and he's just like face plants into the ground dragging like blood everywhere nightmare vibes oh big time nightmare Mm -hmm. vibes um yeah so clive and jerica are both murdered in right in front of the installment I think, yeah, it was super effective. I don't know if you noticed, but the, I like, I mean, it's pretty noticeable, but like the movie opens with like the Universal logo when it's mirrored. Backwards. Yeah. It's backwards. I loved it. And at mm-hmm. first, because we got rented it at home, right? VOD, I'm like, uh, like, do we have like a mirror on? It's like flipped for some reason. And then all the credits opened like that. It wasn't just Universal. I'm like, holy shit. Like, instantly it clicked. I'm like, it's because it's Candyman. Yep. I'm like, that they did it on purpose. I'm like, God, I love that so much. Yeah, it's so smart. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, they did so many things. Like, showing the, the opening scene is literally the city, but upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, which I found out was also a tribute to the original because it's filmed top down. And they wanted, so they filmed the same area, but upside down. So they mirrored it. And I'm just like, ah, I love, I love that. Yeah, I mean, you can just tell there's a lot of care taken into, like, all of these decisions. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's Jerrica and Clive are both killed, which puts a lot of media attention on Anthony now. Because mm-hmm. um, when there's tragedy surrounding art, like, it draws in a lot of attention. Um, it also puts some attention on um, on Brianna, because, like, people start scouting her, too, to, like, possibly move up in, like, her industry. Um and, you know, there was this art uh, critic who very much was bored by Anthony's piece, and now she is, like, fascinated by it. Um, and, you know, um, he goes to, like, he goes to see her, um, and she is, you know, suddenly singing a different tune. Um, and she's, like, talking, oh, no, it just took me a while to realize, like, what the theme is, but now I get it. Mm-hmm. Um because, like, originally she calls him out largely for taking advantage of gentrification. Like, saying that artists take advantage of gentrification. Um, and now she's, like, saying the opposite. Um, and this is where, like, it kind of teases you, too, of, like, is Anthony actually the killer? Because, like, he very much does not like this woman. Um, no. And, yeah, he's... And at this point, like, it was possible that he could have been at the studio like as Candyman, to be mm-hmm. like if he was possessed if it was like that type of right. scenario um, right he had keys his girlfriend has keys uh-huh. she yeah. was asleep like, yeah it very much and even if like he didn't like we didn't see him in another like scenario um where or like at least it was in a setting that would make sense and then yeah he's got this like freaking bee sting that's like infecting his hand oh that's so gross oh it's so nasty nasty. yeah there's some nasty body horror stuff in this that i'm like i don't like it like no it makes me sick to my stomach i don't like it i did not like the whole infected hand thing whatsoever Um, oh and then when he picks it at dinner oh Oh, it's so oh my god yeah and the chick at dinner is like ew don't do that (laughs) and i'm like yeah seriously don't do that at dinner dude gross don't do that ever but yeah like in public i like how she's like don't do that yeah at a fancy ass dinner yeah but he's at um her name's finley he's at her apartment and she like goes to the restroom 
and he goes like she's taken a while and so he goes and like there's this whole like he literally sees himself as Candyman in the mirror um and you know like this is when we really start to wonder again too because we don't know if this is a sequel or like a new telling of this like story so we're like we don't know either like is is like that's is that the way they're doing this like he's he is is possessed by Candyman, or he's like turning into Candyman. Like, what's going on? Um, and then he leaves like flustered because it's the first time he's like literally fully seen himself in the mirror as Candyman. And then as he leaves is the most beautiful shot. I like. I was so obsessed. It's this pan out of the can. It's just the critic in her apartment, her window in this high rise, and it pans out. It's just static, but panning out. And as it's happening, she is invisibly lifted up, slammed against the glass, and then dragged across it with, like, a red smear across the window. And the camera never moves other than panning backwards, like, panning mm-hmm. out from this shot. And, like, I don't know about you, but I was absolutely mesmerized and, like, obsessed with that shot. Because I was like, it just did so many things that, like, are not what you normally do in horror. Like, there's, like, no sound, really. Like, you don't hear her. Yeah, it was like, quiet. Yeah, it's quiet. Like, you know, normally we're, like, for a kill, you're going in on that kill, you know? Like, this is just, like, a quiet pan out of this, like, this thing that's just, like, happening. And it, like, it's something, there's something so uneasy created by that of, like, like, it's just, this is just happening. And, like, we're just watching it happen. Like, we're not in the moment, you know? Like, we're not, like, living that experience or anything. It's, like, you could look at any of those other windows on the high-rise and, like, other things are happening. And, like, that's just one of the things. And I I was just, like, blown away by that shot. I just thought it was such a smart, I don't know, just something I haven't ever really seen in a horror movie. And um, one of my favorite things in horror movies, which this movie does a lot anyways, is, like, subtle horror. Um so like we mentioned already like just like you see Candyman in a mirror or you see him in a window or something and like it's there nothing is drawing you to it you have to be looking for it and like so much of this shot just like this shot kind of it gave me the same feels as like in the strangers when the strangers in the hallway and Liv Tyler doesn't see him mm-hmm. and it's like the, you you can see him but like Liv Tyler doesn't see him like it's just like a similar vibe to me of like this unassuming horror that you're like this is horrifying but like i'm weirdly not being presented to it in a way that i normally would be in a horror movie so yeah you're I, not being I, yeah, cued in by anything the characters aren't letting you know the score is not letting you know you know yeah. the camera's not letting you know it's literally just they're in the frame which right. you know there's yeah, there's a lot like The Strangers, you know, the original Halloween is like famous for quite a few scenes like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it adds, and I think it's nice in a slasher to have those mo- moments of, I mean, don't get me wrong, we love our over the top and we like to see gore. We like to, see, it's nothing more frustrating than when everything just gets cut away and you don't see anything. Like, yeah, when your whole movie's off screen kills, it's a little annoying. It's a little annoying, but it's nice when you have, which there's, you know, balance in this film of mm-hmm. having things that are, and I think if you, if, if we go and look back at some of, you know, the slashers that we think are the best or the most successful or the creepiest or for whatever, the the ones that get us sort of like the highest grades, like 
are the ones that have, I mean, the number one film on our list is Nightmare. And it has numerous scenes that are subdued and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and quiet and creepy yeah, it's to about match unnerving. the very, very gory, visceral kills that also happen in that film. Yeah. And it, this follows it right up because then mm-hmm. we get our kill where we realize that it is definitely not Anthony because yep. uh, four girls decide to do Candyman at school in the bathroom and they are all freaking murdered. Um, and, you know, like, this is probably one where I was okay with them cutting away. Um, like, they were, it was still just as effective. Like, I don't want to see four teenage girls get brutally murdered. Um it's not something I, especially like this isn't a Friday type movie, you know, like, like these are just like, like they're shitty teenagers, but like it hasn't given me the setup like that, you know, it's well, like very grounded. We don't know anything about them. It's a girl that we see at the studio and right. then she has zero connection to this world or the scenario. And then we j- the only reason we realize it's her is we pop up out of high school and we see the same backpack. And you're like, oh, it's the chick that was at the studio. It's literally right. her only connection yeah. is that she heard, she heard the lore. And, I mean, that's the whole point. That's what they're... That's what Candyman wants you to do. Say his name. Get it spread, you know? Right. Like, right. have other people say it, you know? Like, share the story. And so that's what happened. So, I i mean, I will preface this bes- with the fact that I have seen, like, highlights of talk on Twitter. But I haven't gone into anything because, I mean, I just watched the movie. I feel like this is a controversial scene. I don't know what people it, it, are it saying is. about it. But it weirdly is. Yeah. People are talking people. about it. I can't tell you what it is. Um, so a lot of people just think it's like unnecessary. They're just like, like out of really, place. yeah. They're just like, okay. what does this add to the movie? Um, which I stylized wise, not even style, because st- like the style fits. I think it does. It is a weird non sequitur in the movie because we're following Anthony and Brianna this whole movie except this. But I do think that this is to show, like you just said, what Candyman. Yeah it wants to do is spread like it this serves wildfire. two purposes right it yeah it proves it, that it's it's not really plausible that it's anthony like mm-hmm. doing these killings yeah um that he's not like possessed and physically doing right. these killings right um it just that doesn't add up so i think that's why it's important that it's a kill that's not really associated but i think even more important to the plot is exactly what I'm saying is that it's the say his name, say Candyman, getting people to the, you know, the big message of this film and like whatever people want to call it, the political, the whatever. It's like there are people, there are black men getting murdered disproportionately Uh and their stories are not getting told yep it's happening in the shadows of our society and so the lore of Candyman, the purpose is we're gonna tell you what's happening and right. we're gonna show you we're what's not happening. gonna let these stories go away yeah um 
I, I, I did see it. Like, one of the criticisms I saw is because, like, these girls are obviously, like, mean girls. And, you know, they bully they? this. Uh, yeah, they bully this girl that's in the stall. The, oh. And, yeah, yeah, and so, like, the big criticism I saw was, like, she's a black girl. Because no white no, or no black people are killed. It's only white people. Yes. Except Anthony. He's the only one um, black person who's killed in the movie. And, and um, you know, our uh, Sherman. Sherman. Kids. But, like, mm-hmm. the only people murdered by Candyman are um, not black. And so I did see a criticism of, like, this scene was, like, oh, retro, like, a little bit see, like seemed like shoehorned in retribution it's like but she didn't like this girl's not even getting revenge like she's being traumatized um and like it's you know like so it was just like they were wondering like what's the point of this scene as far as like that goes you know what i mean i will say that it did feel I, and i'm not sure if like heavy-handed's the right word but it did feel like a little off having the black girl in the stall right and so that like was that like, did that part of it didn't really seem necessary right like, and they said that's the criticism is like is this supposed to be them further pushing the message of what they're looking for but like that scene would have been just as effective without her even existing in that scene like yeah. she didn't like she didn't need to exist in that scene so that that's kind of the controversy on that one um at this point, we like we know it's not Anthony, but like, uh, not everyone else does. Um, you know, um, Brianna has definitely got weird. Like, she has gotten to his studio. She he is like, um, you know, drawing, making all these um, portraits of past Candymen, um, which has sufficiently freaked her out. Um, we this is just like another kill in here. We do get some backstory on Brianna. Like, she witnessed her dad killing himself um which is an interesting like bit of backstory um that's never like super explored uh super unsettling that scene is like really fucked up um but like we do like get that um and then you know we also this is like kind of this is where everything starts unraveling like we find out that anthony is the baby from the first movie um because we are introduced like he goes to the hospital that's how it all happens he goes to the hospital for his hand because it's getting really bad his whole arm is now infected well yeah and and he like got a big old shard of glass in it right and um they tell him like oh like you were they tell him where he was born and he's like i wasn't born there and they're like yeah you were and so he goes to confront his mom and his mom you know retells what we already know from the first movie that helen actually saved him from the fire um and you know like um the the candy man myth is real and i just thought i i I really like this scene too i thought vanessa williams killed it um there's just that one part where he starts to say it and she's like "Mm -mm, don't say that here and i'm like in like the fear and just that small response is so palpable that i'm like it hits you and like because like i think especially at your age like our age and like we've seen adults act like that about something at some point you know and like you know what triggers that is like something that's bad no it definitely felt like relatable in a way that you don't want to relate to something and like especially now like you know i can just understand more so much like being a parent like there's so many scary things that you don't have any control over 
and like you know but your kids don't know and so like and I mean I've never had to deal with something to the severity of of this um but even just like like little simple things where you're just like encompassed with so much fear when they do something or and you're like no 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 because you have so much history behind it and you like know the outcome but Mm -hmm. you don't have any control over it like you can't like to a certain extent you can only protect your kids from so much and like yeah I think it's just so easy in that moment to just be like I mean my heart broke for her like instantly when she's like no 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 because like I can't even imagine like being a mother in that situation going like you're gonna bring I'm gonna have to go through that again Right. And she's realizing this person that she's tried to protect his entire life, it still, it didn't yeah, matter. It like, didn't it matter. caught up. Um, yeah. So we get that. We find out that, like, yes, this is a full on sequel, obviously, to the first movie. He is very much connected to it. Um, you know, we get more backstory. Burke uh, is continuing to tell the story of how, you know, um, he's even more connected to the Candyman myth because his sister was murdered by the Candyman, um, who she, like, locked herself in the bathroom to do it, and he's the one who found his sister. Um, and then we get this ending. Uh, not the ending. It's, it's str- like, the last, like, two, three minutes of the movie I think are great. Um, there's this... So Brianna realizes that, like, Anthony is... Something is not right here. Like, the, even though she's worried, like, this is not the man that she loves and knows. And so she goes looking for him, and Burke has kidnapped Anthony and has also kidnapped Brianna um, and tied them up in the church. And he's turning Anthony into Candyman. Um, he's, like, put the coat on him, and he's he chops his hand off and gives him the hook. And G- gives him that's a very kind way of putting what right, he does. Slams a hook into the stump left on his body. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, and this is where the movie kind of lost me because I don't understand what the fuck Burke was doing. Like, I really don't. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, no and, I like, don't. It's not just you, me. It was Bobby. It was like everyone I've talked to. Like, my roommate saw it, and he asked me, because he knows I'm a big horror guy, he's like, can I ask you, like, what was happening here? I was like, I don't fucking know, dude. Like, I have no, I I don't, like, I have loose, like, ideas of what was happening, but, like, I don't super understand what Burke's plan was. Like, he's definitely psychotic, um, and has been, has major trauma, like, from his childhood experience of seeing this man murdered, and then his sister murdered. Yes. Um... But, like, I don't, like, we all know Candyman already exists. I don't know what Burke's doing here. Like, I just don't really understand. So, yeah, the only thing that, like, I kind of came out with it is that I was thinking that his motive was wanting Candyman to be famous. Like, not just an urban legend, but by making Anthony this... This is how I understood the scene. Is that, in his mind, if he made Anthony the physical Candyman... Right, and he fully intends on him to be the not-physical Candyman, too, because he calls the cops. Like, he... He knows he's going to create the new spiritual Candyman as well. No, for sure. But I think right. the whole purpose of dressing him up and right, calling right. the cops is to get this f- 
famous painter, you know, quote unquote, famous painter to take the like fall for all of these murders all under the guise of them saying Candyman five times. Right. Right. And so for me, I think that's what his motive was, was that if I do this, like it really will like live on and right. I'm not going to be the only one who was like cursed to see. Right. Candy. And, and he's looking for some sort of justice. Yeah. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense to me now. Like looking at it like that of him trying to take advantage of an opportunity of being like, I'm going to create a candy man that like this name won't get swept under the rug. He already this has isn't national some... attention. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. This is that... somebody who's like an up and comer who lives in the high rises, you know. Right. He's right. not this like poor kid from Cabrini Green anymore. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense actually. Um, so there's this whole final chase scene where, you know, um uh Burke is chasing Brianna, she manages to escape and he's chasing her. Um, and it, you know, they get to the, the housing row in Cabrini Greens and she gets into one of the houses. Um, and, uh, she kills Burke. Like he confronts her, she kills him. And then, like, you know, Anth- Anth- yeah, stab, stabs stab, the stab, shit stab, out of him like, a whole bunch of times. Um, and then Anthony's still alive. Um, but he is not doing well, obviously. His whole, like, right side of his also, body Also, he's drugged, for sure, right? Oh, he's super yeah. sedated, yeah. yeah. Because so he, like, isn't very cognizant His of eyes happening. are glossed over, like... Yeah, like, yeah. like Burke definitely had to sedate him to be able yeah. to... Like, he's a big guy. Um, and he's, like, laying in her lap, and unfortunately, like, you know, what we would expect to happen is the cops show up and they kill him because he has been without questioning or without anything he's been accused of these murders so they shoot him on the spot um and then brianna's loaded into the cop car and the cop even just straight up tells her like you know like he just tells her we're gonna lie about it he charged us and you know you can either go along with it or we can make this really difficult for you Mm -hmm. and brianna knows what she can do to uh get out of the situation and still give anthony justice um, and that is, you know, she asks the cops, she's like, can I just see myself? And he puts the mirror back and she says, Candyman. And Anthony comes out and he just absolutely slaughters, um, three, he slaughters three of the police officers. And as Brianna escapes, that's when we finally see Tony Todd, yeah. um, who kills like the lead officer there in the alleyway. And he is the one who tells her like to tell their story. Um, yeah, and that, that is the end of the movie. Um, B, what is your favorite kill? Um, I think that my favorite kill is going to be my classic first kill. The art gallery Um, kill? yeah. So, I mean, the scene in general is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, but I also think just the absolute instant shock of just her throat getting slashed yeah it's done really well it's surprising and then the clive kill is really good too um and like i like the chase and it's super scary but there's something about just that close up right on screen like throat surprise first kill set the tone okay we're doing it 
Yeah, um, that first kill is important. It sets the tone, yeah. like you said. And like you wonder, you know, that at that point, because that's like 20, maybe 30 minutes into the movie before we get a kill. Yeah. And like, and they definitely let you know, like immediately, like we're not here to play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's a, that's a good one. Um, mine is the critic. I mean, I just, like I said, I was yeah. obsessed with that shot. Like I loved everything about it. It's like the older I get, the more that is like very much a style of horror that I look out for. Um, and it's not done very often and it's not always done super well either. And I just thought it was, I thought it was beautiful and like so effective um, so definitely the art critic for me. So art yeah. dealer's girlfriend for you, Jerrica, and Jerica. then art, and then art critic Finley for me. Very hipster names. Uh, yeah, I had to. I actually had to look up. I forgot until I heard her name uh, that I like went to elementary school with a girl named Jerrica, and so I like tried to see if I could find her on social media because I forgot she existed. But I don't her? even remember her last name. And I think she spelled it. It was the 90s. I think she spelled it really weird. It was like J-E-R-I-K-K-A or something, if I remember Probably. correctly. Yeah. Something really strange. Um, uh, some trivia, too, real quick, which I thought was cool. Anthony's name is said fully. Anthony McCoy is said five times in the movie before he becomes Candyman. So just a, a five only little... Only five times? Yeah, only five times um, before he, like his full name. His name, Anthony, is said numerous times. But the name Anthony McCoy, five times before he becomes Candyman. So just a smart little, like, you know, little nod in there. Yeah, I like it. Like it's, I mean, like we've said, uh, this, the attention to detail in this film was very uh, strong. Yes. Um, And it's brand new. So we don't. It, it's like it's positioned in the horror landscape i think it is going to be a big deal i think it's made a good impact already um a lot of that i think has to do with the team behind it um and being able to see them succeed um so i think this is going to be a movie that is like talked about very positively and also um just in that conversation of like you know good sequels slash remakes like this will be held up in very high regard uh and i'm hoping that some people take note of the cinematography in this movie and um i i mean like i'm not saying like horror movies look bad but like this movie is just stunning to me like seriously it was just like blown away by it so um i would like to see that carry over into some more horror too take note hollywood yeah take note I mean, I think Ryan Peel, Larson's got an agenda. I think Peel does a great job too. Like I was, um, us um, had some shots in it that just like blew me away. Yeah, that movie is beautiful to watch. We, that's like my husband's favorite horror movie. Um, just like my favorite thing. We watched that movie. We were just he was just picking out a movie for us to watch the other night, um, and because it's our anniversary. And because it's Halloween, so he's more open to watching horror movies. He was looking for horror stuff. Um, and that's how he ended up watching Chris. But he stopped on us. He's like, oh, yeah, we should watch us. And he's like, wait, didn't we just watch that a couple months ago? And I'm like, uh-huh. And he's like, all right, maybe we should watch something else. Yeah. I I'm like, that was really like, good. I love that, that movie. movie. Yeah. It's beautiful uh, to look at. It really, Yeah, it really, really is. I think that's another like stunning horror movie. Um, cool. At the end of every episode, we do rank our movies. You can find those rankings at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, 
this is going to be our 70 or 80th movie we're in the 80s now um so this is going to be our 80th movie that we are ranking um and it is in order of how well we think the movie succeeds as a slasher so it's not favorites it's not best of it's how well the movie succeeds as a slasher um at the bottom of our list is april fool's day both of them and girls signed out and then at the top um is our reigning champion nightmare on elm street followed by my bloody valentine from 1981 and black christmas from 1974 and let's see just for fun see where the other candy man is um it's in the middle somewhere lower. yeah i think i think it's a little lower even um, uh, 48. 48, yeah. It's so like, just about, yeah, about the right, middle. Right, right about the middle. Little, uh, a low middle. I think this... I'm very interested to see what you see. Let's see, let's see what All you right. say. Because so, I know these ones are a struggle for you. They are. Um, and it's hard, too, because it is so new and, like, we have a one-time experience. And... Mm-hmm. I wasn't going most of the time when we watch movies for the podcast, we're either rewatching or watching for the first time, but with the understanding that we're going to cover it for the podcast, Mm -hmm. Ren and I both knew we were going to cover it. Um, and most likely for our next episode, but neither of us want to go into a movie like this for the first time with like our analyzing hats on, like we're fans first. And so I wanted to just be emerged and enjoy it. And so the thoughts that I had, I'm like, well, if I don't have anything that critical to say, I don't because I, you know, wanted to pay attention to the movie. So I wasn't watching it with this lens of like, okay, um, what tropes are in here? Like, how is this following the formula, which is normally how we go and attack these. So let's see. I think right off the bat, it works better than the original as a slasher. Yeah, I think so too. Um, This is coming up a lot now that we're getting into more films and covering more sequels. It's naturally easier for a sequel to work better. Yep. Because so, so much of the original blueprint of a slasher is that flashback that sets Mm -hmm. the tone for the rest of the movie that's i mean that's so much of what the formula is about and so i mean this does that obviously because it's a sequel to a 30 year old movie um so we have that working for it we have this urban legend we have a lore we have you know a killer coming back from the dead essentially um we have a a familiar connection within the our um well our Candyman, but also who basically acts as our final boy the entire film until the end right has a connection to can the original Candyman. so right. all of that very much just scream slasher our kills are very slasher in this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, super straight out of the book slasher kills. Yep. Um, which heavy, we did heavy utilization of that hook hand slicing. Heavy of the hook of the taunting of mm-hmm. the, you know, the playing, uh, that all comes in way more than it did in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, the original has some beautiful kills for sure, but they don't feel, they feel more like a kills you would see in like a thriller. Well, not a thriller, but uh, not, not a slasher, like a a supernatural horror movie. Right. Right. Um, right, right. So all of that's working. I think what this film lacks because of the nature of the setup is a final girl. Right. Our final girl is strong. Don't like as a character is strong, but like in terms of a final girl, she's a weak final girl. We spend almost, we, we don't really spend time with her until we're forced to the last 20 minutes of the movie. Um, so that hinders us. Um, you know, and you know, she has to overcome a lot in a very small amount of time, which is a final girl thing, but we don't see that growth because we're not spending this movie with her. Um, no. She's, it, she's forced to rapidly become a, a fi- a, essentially a final girl um, because of the, the nature of her situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we spend... It's, it's, you know, one of those slashers where we're spending our time with the killer instead of with the final girl Mm -hmm. um so it's it's still slasher it's just um like a different approach which isn't necessarily like a a trope um it's not necessarily part of the formula it's just like an exception it's like oh yeah well sometimes we end up spending more time with the killer than we do with our final girl or boy and the reality is when that happens it makes it less of a slasher film it just doesn't work as well in that scenario so when she is like ryan's saying like when she's forced into that situation i mean just the fact that she's able to come out of it by calling upon what she was just escaping from like she's running from the legend of Candyman and Candyman himself essentially and then she uses Candyman to her advantage to escape from her real life enemy that's not supernatural right, right. very smart very yeah. you know so she's good she's a, but oh, she's a very capable person yes she just doesn't fit into the mold of a yeah. traditional final girl um so that's why I'm looking at like right around I'm personally looking right around like 35, like 36, 35, because like Hellfest is very similar, right? We get a final girl that like we love everything about that movie, like great locations, great kills. Um, we know we don't get as much background on our killer, um, but like some really solid, like, um, you know, he's like creepy. Um, but like our final girl is just kind of shoved into this situation. We don't get like a ton of backstory on her other than she studies a lot and doesn't have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know? she, she doesn't um, have a social life. Yeah. Um, so like I actually would put this above Hellfest because I think our killer obviously like succeeds a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these are the ones I'm a little more unsure about, like 34 through 31. Yeah. So a lot of those are hard. Um, Lover's Lane is hindered by the fact that it's a low budget, Mm -hmm. you know, like video on demand, but I mean, it follows the blueprint, like pretty cut and dry. Um, and for 
better and for worse for sure um it right. has the, its downsides which is why it's 31 for doing that right um you know the mutilator has i mean some exceptional standout moments and kills but there's a lot of that movie that falls really flat um right. and is really and I think that one, quirky and weird right and that one ranks as high as it does i think because it does follow slasher blueprint so tight mm-hmm. um you know, and then you know, and the like, kills so, are insanely creative in that movie. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, same with Happy Birthday to me. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that movie feels a little more like a giallo, which is why I think it's as low as it does as it is. But like, just so enjoyable. Um, Has the best trope of all. Yeah, your favorite. At the end. Uh, but like, yeah, school, these again. That's basically a giallo. Um, right. And so that's I like especially these two. I look at like Happy Birthday to me, Night School. Like not super bowl memorable, like not super memorable final girls, um, but again like creative kills. Like night school's kills are just chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, we have part partly yeah. where we're following the cops, right? Which is a very giallo thing, um, right? So I'm like I'm wondering if even like maybe this goes above mutilator. Mm-hmm. Or right under Mutilator. Uh, I could see either one. Because it does... I think it goes above Mutilator. Just because even though it might, it might stray a little bit from like you know our traditional traditional slasher formula. And it's funny because like that scene in the school would be like one of the more traditional slasher yes. scenes. Yes. Um, but like 100%. it feels so odd in this movie. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't stray super far. Like not like the original at all. And also our killer is so much more fleshed out i think than like in night school and happy birthday to me and he, and like even though those kills are super cool mm-hmm. like i think our killer is so much more fleshed out and so it has like kind of the same weaknesses where it's not like not like a super memorable final girl but like really really awesome killer with these incredible cinematic kills and then also you know, I think yeah, more following than, the big tropes, but missing out on a on the you know sh- right. little ones in the cut and dry like right this is what and happens. like even more than like even more than Happy Birthday to Me in High School, it plays with those like you know familiar ties too of just mm-hmm. like I mean tying straight back into the original Candyman. Um, yeah, that's why I, I put mean, it like right around Prom Night Lovers Lane makes a lot of sense for me. Those movies both do the same thing of the familiar like they have those familiar ties. Yeah. No, I feel comfortable with it there, for sure. Okay, so number 32? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So Candyman from 2021 is number 32 on our list, Um, ranking quite a bit higher than the original Candyman. Um, If you can tell, um, I'm so bad at math. 49 minus 32. Yeah, it's 17 spots. Um... But yeah, so yeah, thanks. I don't um, know if you're right, but, but I'll believe you. I am. Um, if you couldn't tell, B and I both very much like the movie. Um, go support it. Go check it out. Uh, I think you will not be disappointed. Um, yes, I was. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I went in expecting to like it because, like I said, I I was into the vibes. Right. Um, that I had been given. Um, but I was you never very know. unsure because I know you're super back and forth on the original like i know you appreciate uh, I, the original i appreciate the original but i still don't like it 
Right. Yeah, but like, so I was unsure because I was like, yeah. I know she really appreciates the original, and you like Tony Todd and like the kills in that mm-hmm. movie, but like, um, yeah. So I'm stoked that you liked it as much as you did. Yes, I cool. very very much liked it. Um. Awesome. Well. Uh. Yeah. You can go find that on VOD. Um, the next movie, we already know what we were covering, so if you guys want to follow along and watch with us, um, and maybe now that we had to push it, I might be able to get a special guest on, um, the movie that we are going to be covering is You Might Be the Killer, um, which if you have Hulu, the live Hulu, it's on there. Um, it is not even available to rent on Amazon Prime for some reason, um, which is super frustrating. Um, so you can rent it on some... iTunes. Oh, I was going to say, um, you can rent it on yeah, iTunes. Yeah, you, you can rent it on iTunes, or you can watch it with Hulu Live TV. It used to be on Shutter too, and it's not. Um, it probably, yeah. what, Hulu Live TV, it probably, be, oh, it's sci-fi. Oh, yeah. So sci-fi has, has it right yeah. now. Which... So check, maybe check the sci-fi app, too. Yeah, the sci-fi, sci-fi app probably has it. Because yeah. I remember, because I watched it yesterday, and it had the sci-fi app in the corner. So that's probably okay. why it's on Hulu Live, because, I mean, I have the sci-fi channel. Right. That, yeah, that would be why. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so you, if you want to follow along, we're going to be covering You Might Be the Killer, directed by Brett Simmons. Um, and we will be back in two weeks. We would love to hear from you, and you can find us online at KeepScreaming.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at, at ScreamingCast. And if you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe subscribe to us on itunes it helps us grow and snag great new listeners thanks for listening and until next time keep screaming